Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. Today I'm joined by Steve Becker of Athlete Performance. Steve graduated from UW-Milwaukee with a degree in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise physiology. Steve has years of experience working with elite athletes, particularly basketball players. He has worked for the Milwaukee Bucks, Portland Trailblazers, and the Chinese National Basketball Association. Additionally, he has supported numerous individual players during their off-season training and preparing for the NBA draft. Steve founded Athlete Performance in Mequon, Wisconsin in 2010, where he trains athletes through sports-specific strength and conditioning programs. Through Athlete Performance, he also has relationships training local club teams, high schools, and college athletics programs. Welcome to the show, Steve, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for starters, what got you into being a performance coach? Well, I I started, I went to UWM, and I started in the pre-dentistry. I come from a laundry list of you know, my family of dentists, so I initially thought that was my calling, you know. <laughs> okay. And uh, so I went to UWM, and and I got a couple years down that path and took all those classes and kind of realized, you know, this this has nothing to do with what I'm interested, which is sports. And I never played sports at a high level or anything, just, you know, basketball, and I played all the sports, and I loved it. And, um, you know, my mom one day knew I wasn't, you know, into all the schooling stuff. And I started thinking about changing majors. And about my sophomore year, I switched to kinesiology and came home and she had put an article on my desk of a uh, the strength and conditioning coach of the Milwaukee Brewers. And I was like, remember, this is back in, you know, 2004, 2003. I said, geez, I, I never even knew that there was, you know, this out there. And so I read the article, and I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a performance coach at a, for a professional team. And so it changed my you know, degree to kinesiology, which I had a lot of the classes lined yeah. up, and ended up calling up uh, Tim Wilson, who was the strength coach for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I harassed him for a summer, you know, and <laughs> yeah. finally he got sick of me, and he's like, all right, why don't you come on in one day? And uh, came in, and Ursan Ilyasova was, was 17 years old at the time. And, um, you know, I watched a workout and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. And from there, I, you know, finished up the schooling and I ended up going and, you know, uh, catching up with the UWM strength coach, who was Chuck Serpa at the time, and um, started learning from him. And my buddy, Steve Feldy, who is now the strength coach um, at Minnesota, uh, the Gophers for the basketball team, you know, we started lifting weights and he started showing me some stuff and I, and I saw kind of the advantages that I got, you know, not playing basketball, but just physically and athletically. And I said, wow, I think, I think this is something that I want to, I want to do. And, yeah. and then, uh, finished out my degree and I, um, you know, did a little internship with the Bucks. I 
I did volunteer for a season, and then they uh, did an internship, and then they ended up hiring me for the the following season. And, that's awesome. And that's kind of how it started. That's awesome. Very cool. So I think, like, looking at your background, one of the things that caught my attention, and as we've talked before, is that you work with athletes across a wide uh, range of ability levels, age, experience. What changes in your approach and emphasis from working with an elite athlete to a high school athlete to a youth athlete? Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because you always want to work with everybody who starts in strength and conditioning, I think, thinks it's awesome to just work with pros. Yeah. But the thing that they don't understand is that there's not a lot you can do with a pro. Uh, If they're already, especially now with all the millions of dollars that are involved, if I get a guy, for instance, it was Michael Red, you know, I realized, well, this guy already is, you know, he just signed a $90 million contract. He's, He's already at this level. You know, what more can I do with him? As opposed, you know, can I increase what he's doing or do I just maintain and make sure he stays injury free? And so the training on that level is just a little bit different than opposed to coming back and training a 10 year old where the kid doesn't know how to jump. He can't move laterally. He's, you know, not, you know, soft on his feet. It's just you can teach them a lot more and they'll take it. They're like sponges and you see them getting better day after day if they're consistent and they work hard. So you know, the training methodology isn't necessarily that much different because it still is hard work, you know, train smart, train, you know, that type of thing. But with youth athletes, you just break down their movements a little bit more and you can see a little bit more on it as opposed to a pro athlete. um, It's more of a maintenance game. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think one of the things that we see with some of the pros that we look at too is like when you see something that's abnormal, like, you know, I work with a couple of professional baseball pitchers and you see something and you're like, I don't really love that. But then you have to ask yourself like the next question of, well, is that what makes them exceptional? Like, is that thing that's different than everyone else? What, what maybe leaves them at risk to getting injured? Or is that why he can throw it a hundred and everyone else can only throw it 90, you know? And yeah. those decisions get really hard. Totally. I, I had a example. There was a kid, uh, played uh, JP Tokatoy played at North Carolina back in the day. When he was a sophomore and freshman in high school, you know, he had a little eversion with his toe going and he walked like a duck on one side. But yet he jumped 43 inches off the ground and he was dunking (laughs) on everybody. And I'm thinking, okay, my first thing, what the book says is I'm going to fix that. Well, you know what? He moved and never got injured and he jumped higher than everybody else. And I started providing more power to that and he started jumping higher. And I said, you know what? Every kid's going to move a little different. And you have to break down the athlete and see what's important. You can't just spend a ton of time working on one little thing because you lose so much time, yeah. especially this day with all the stuff that the kids have going on. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know? No, no, that's awesome. So that kind of leads us in perfectly into the next question. So what do you see kind of being done well right now with like young athlete development? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a two-part question because what I think things are doing well is also, I think, kind of hindering the sports too. You yeah. know, it's a double-edged yeah. sword. Yeah. Um, I think what's really cool at this day and age is there's so much opportunity. You know, guys like you, guys like me, there's companies all over the place that are working on performance. So that opportunity is out there. Whereas back when we were in high school or middle school, there wasn't anything, yeah. literally nothing to yeah. do. A rusty weight room with some Yeah. And we didn't know what the heck was going on because yeah. the high school coach had no idea or your parents didn't have any idea. Um, and, and, you know, 
when you're in a club sport, now there's just so much. So you're playing all the time, you're practicing all the time. So your ability to get better at that sport is really good. Whereas back in the day, you know, my dad would open up the gym on a Saturday morning and we'd have a hundred kids come in, but it was a one day a week basketball thing. Right. But now there's AAU teams, there's basketball or for basketball, then there's club teams for volleyball and swimming. And so I think what's happening is they're spending so much time on their sport and they're getting better and their skill levels better, but they're doing a little bit more damage sometimes because they're not spending time, you know, on their bodies to prevent the injuries. So, you know, kids are playing eight, nine basketball games in a weekend. Yeah. And, and I think that's just too much with that their bodies can withstand, you know? Yeah, I know. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, we have a really hard time, um, with people coming back from injuries going into basketball season because, you know, we try to give guidelines for minutes as they return and stuff like that. And when we start looking at the AU schedule, it's like, well, this isn't good for anyone. <laughs> and it's right. especially not good <laughs> yeah. for you in the first year after your ACL tear. Um, so it makes it really challenging. Um, what do you see with just like some of the movement quality? Do you see a lot of like kids that they're over like over practiced where they're very good at their sport movements, but then aren't super good at just general kind of yeah, movement. Certainly. We see it all the time. I mean, so our main goal is, you know, footwork, lateral movement and getting to jump and land properly, you know, and I think if we start there that we can do a lot, but going back to kind of the initial question is the opportunities for them to get better at their own sport are, is good because they're practicing a lot. But my kind of view on it is if you practice your jump shot, time after time you practice this one move you know your euro step or whatever that move is and you don't take time to get stronger or know how to make that movement more efficient you're only going to get so good and so if you continue down that path you're only going to be working on those movements as opposed to working on others that are going to help you become more efficient for that movement yeah. you know and so trying to break that down to parents is really difficult because everybody wants to just play, play, play and not incorporate performance training. And I know I, I'm biased towards this stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you see these, you see kids coming with more stress fractures. You see them coming with um, more ACL injuries and more injuries in general. And so there has to be a correlation with them overdoing the same movement and the breakdown of their joint structure you know, and that's why I think this stuff is so important. Yeah. No, it's just, it's amazing to us. We, we just see more and more kids that they might be able to do a, like a perfect technique, like a skip, you know, for like a sprinting warm up. but we just try to get them to, to skip or like skipping backwards is one of my favorites. To, oh, yeah. Like just to see, no one we just see, it. yeah, the kids <laughs> just struggle with some of the, like just basic playground movements and People always ask, like, well, how does that matter? And I'm like, it's just, just like, just coordination and general athleticism. Yeah, just to have the ability to, yeah, just to synchronize your arms and your legs together. That's pretty much every sport. And uh, they really, really struggle with it. Totally. And, and we've done, in the last five years, four or five years, we've done so much more youth training. And I like that better, as I said earlier. I mean, because you work on motor development. And then you can get them into performance training. And then eventually, if you've taught them well enough and they're coordinated, now we can go elite performance training and then you can build them. Yeah. And now all those movements that you see in the 15, 16, 17 that you're trying to correct, you can do it at a much earlier age. But there's a ton of kids who can't 
run with high knees and get the synchronized arm drive. <laughs> yeah. Doing that forward is one thing, but even trying to get them to do it in a straight line backwards. And yeah. so if you can't do these certain movements, why why would you move on to other things? Yeah. But I am very surprised at some points where you see a kid play on the basketball court and you're like, wow, that kid is athletic as heck. He's dunking on everybody, right, left, everything. But then you get him in the gym and he can't jump and land on his right leg and balance. Yeah. You know, I I remember the same thing. Desmond Mason, he was a killer you know, athlete for the Bucks for a while. But I remember watching him, you know, try to jump and land on one foot in the weight room or balance, and he just, he struggled with it. And time after time, you see it, whether it's a pro athlete or a youth athlete, but um, they're really good on the court, (laughs) but then it doesn't transition to what we do in the weight room. But And that's why we try to make it really efficient in the weight room, and hopefully there's a correlation to make it really efficient on the court or on the field. Yeah. No, I think that's um, I think that's awesome. So, without giving away all your trade secrets, I know you guys are doing some some pretty interesting stuff with testing athletes for uh, um, tracking progress and things like that as they come in. Um, if you don't mind walking us through a little bit of like what does your assessment process look like? Yeah. So, um, just recently in the last couple of years, we started doing more. Um, you know, we we call it a movement efficiency test or met met assessment. And from there, we don't have anything too advanced like the force plates that you have, which um, I think is outstanding. But we kind of do similar movements with um, G-flights, which are essentially a a force plate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the first one we do, we do a counter-movement jump. We do a non-counter-movement jump. We do a single leg jump as well, you know, right and left. And then we do a quickness, like an RSI, to try to find out the reactive strength index. And everybody wants to jump higher. But, you know, I could, you know, anybody can teach a kid how to jump higher, but the data that we collect isn't about trying to get you to jump higher. It's trying to get you more efficient. So, you know, we try to get the utilization or eccentric utilization ratio. And from there, I can determine, are you a springy jumper? Are you just built for power? You know, your right right foot versus your left foot, hopefully they're in balance if your limb symmetry index is off. Now I know I have to do a little bit more unilateral work with you so we can equalize your strengthening. And then the RSI, I think, is really important for the majority of the athletes that we do, the reactive strength index for volleyball and basketball is, I always say, it's not about the guy who jumps the highest, it's about the person who... Uh, jumps the quickest. They're normally the person who gets open more, or gets the rebound, gets a tip, a steal, whatever. And um, so we really hone in on that and and anticipating that second jump and working on that speed off the floor. But um, our process through that is we, we test them out at the very beginning when they come in. We have a baseline program and then that we put them through. And as we get used to how the athlete moves, then we can adapt it more to them. And then we test out, assuming they come in, you know, consistently uh, every six weeks or so and and see those numbers change. That's awesome. How have you found it with the athletes just to, um, have you found it helpful to just be able to track progress and like motivating for them? Totally, totally. I think people are motivated by numbers. You know, the the old test that we used to do is get the the Vertec out and see how high they can jump. And I still like that test. And it's good, um, but I think people have to see a number. And so when we do a quickness test, if you can see that number get quicker and quicker, it's going to teach you to jump faster. You know, yeah. my, what my eye can tell, I can see you're jumping faster, but it's how you can see it. And so we kind of apply that stuff and try to push them. And, and then we have so many kids that we've done or young athletes um, 
we break it down into like 12 to 14 and 15 to 17. You know, so we have a bunch of different uh, areas that we do, and I can match you up and put you in our database, and you can see how you match up to your peers. Yeah. And so we have a few hundred people that we've done. So, it's, you know, whether you're here or Australia or China, you, it's probably pretty similar where you'd match up in your database. Yeah. And so they like that. And then at the end, they can see how they're improving. And, and again, these are legit numbers. This isn't just me showing you you can bench press, you know, 30 one week and 70 the next week. That's not that's not anything. It's it's how does this program directly relate to you and your efficiency to be a better athlete? And I think that's helped hugely. Yeah, I think that's what we found too with doing some of our assessments is it, it gives like an air of accountability when like you know you're gonna get tested again in a period of time, like yeah. that there's some motivation there. But then it helps us give the kids like context. Like you're doing this drill because we saw X, Y, Z and it's gonna help you improve this aspect. And now all of a sudden it gives them like, rather than this random you know drill that they don't really understand the purpose behind now that drill has like real like structural meaning that they can hold on to and like really throw themselves into yeah and, and all the training that we do here with our coaches and i always try to make it as specific to their sport as possible whether you're doing a lateral lunge and you're telling a kid okay what's the main for a basketball player what's the main move that you you play in defense if you have to push and get in front of someone this is exactly correlated to that movement and i think when a kid a youth athlete or any athletes can put that in the context of their sport and they understand it now they're going to do it better and you know then they see start seeing improvement yeah no i think uh i think that's awesome it's uh really cool stuff what you guys are doing up here um, so I'm going to shift gears a little, ask you a little uh, personal question. So I know you're rehabbing your own ACL injury. Um, so as a PT, I'm curious what you've learned by going through the process of like your, re- your ACL rehab and if you have any advice you'd want to share with other athletes going through the same thing. Yeah. Uh, first, I always thought that I was going to be the last person to, you know, have an ACL injury. <laughs> yeah. In fact, when I did the testing protocol a week before, um, I tore my ACL and I was, you know, my limb symmetry index was 98%. I right. was like, oh, there's no way. However, that's a non-contact, you know, non-contact, I'm fine, but a contact injury, which you can't train for, in yeah. certain, you know, then that stuff happens. And, you know, I had uh, someone land on my shoulder and when I planted and it was a timing thing and that thing popped and um, what I thought is, oh, I'm going to get back sooner than anybody else because, you know, my, my three things that I always say is, why do you do strength training? Well, it's to, um, you know, decrease the likelihood of injury. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Injury prevention. And then the third one is the sport performance. Yeah. And so I said, I did all this, so I'm going to be back really soon. But what I didn't take in consideration is letting your body heal. Yeah. And I would tell all athletes, you know, listen to the doctors and listen to the PTs as much as you want to, you know, move, like just wait because the body needs to heal. And if it doesn't heal properly, then you're putting yourself, you you have so many setbacks. And um, I thought I was going to come back sooner. And so I, two weeks after my surgery, I was down offsite training, you know, had to go down to Lexington for some pre-draft stuff. And I didn't want to miss out on that. And so I took a chance on, you know, risking my injury and it set me back. You know, I had to get my knee scope back up and had some stuff cleaned up. And, um, that was, that was really a pain. But what I would tell them is 
you know, focus on the small things that you should be doing because those things will go a long way and just wait. It's not worth, you know, setting yourself back because you want to walk sooner or bend your knee sooner or start trying to push a lateral movement, you know? Yeah. Um, but with the, with the testing stuff that you're doing and you can see actual numbers and you can trust, I think you can push yourself within, you know, reason with a professional that's telling you that knows how the body's working. I think you can, you can make a lot of progress now. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that's really good stuff. We, you know, we always talk to athletes about like looking at it as a journey, not like, you know, it's not a, it's not a race to who gets back on the court first. It's a journey to see who can stay on the course court the longest after the injury, you know, and if somebody got back two months before you, but they're out again in two yeah. more months after that and you get back and you just stay out there, then, you know, that's more valuable. That's more valuable. Exactly. No, I think that's a, a really good, uh, really good message. Um, okay. Last, last, uh, thing that we'll kind of dive into today. So you and I have talked about this briefly before. I'm, I'm, uh, excited to hear, hear a little deeper dive on it, but what effect do you think that social media has on, uh, performance training right now? Oh man, the social media thing's killing me. It's, I think there's a lot of good stuff out there if you're following the right people. Yeah. When I first started this, there was no social media to age myself a little bit. There was no Instagram. Yeah. There was nothing going on. And so, I, you know, no one's going to a, a site to see what type of exercises are properly done. So we're doing our thing here. And what I found is that people are going to the professionals that have the most followers and they're thinking that they're the gurus. And they know the most because they've somehow gathered a you know a few hundred thousand followers and they're putting all these crazy videos up where you know crazy videos are cool you can do you can get a killer workout out doing crazy stuff but when you're building your journey as an athlete that stuff probably isn't good for you not good for you it's probably not the best way of doing it and so from a business standpoint it's it's been really difficult sometimes when a kid will come in and you're working on their deficiencies the way that, you know, you learned and you've seen those building blocks, um, you know, be effective before. But now it's like you have to trick a kid and if he doesn't walk out sweating, dragging out, you know, you didn't do a good job. And he gets in the car and tells his mom like, eh, it was all right. Well, you know, not everything has to be dragged out of the weight or you don't always have to just be, you know, balls out doing stuff, sweating. Yeah. It's like there, there's waves of building an athlete and what the social media has done, it's, it's given people a misconception on what working out is. Yeah. I think it's always like the one, you know, it's a glimpse into one, one exercise of a program usually. Yeah. (laughs) You know, unfortunately like doing a simple goblet squat, isn't that exciting for social media so no one posts that but then you know they pick the one exercise that looks really cool Mm -hmm. everybody else looks at that one exercise as like oh that's what i need to be doing and it was like well you don't have any information about the context of the time of year what has that athlete been doing before that you know what other things did they do that day it's just like that one snapshot but then that's what people hold on to yeah i like the ones where you see guys standing on a med ball or a swiss <laughs> ball and doing front and lat races yeah. like that's great yeah but why exactly I, and, and we say here all the time risk versus reward am i going to risk someone standing 
or doing something stupid, for what reward? I can get literally the same thing doing a stability exercise and then doing some sort of shoulder. Yeah. You know, it's just, so you see that stuff and I think it's fun and for whoever's out there that has the ability to do that stuff, it's fun to do. Obviously, yeah. the Ninja Warrior stuff is really cool, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. And, and if you're training for a Ninja Warrior, maybe that's some of the stuff that you can do, but I think it's just, the, like I said, uh, the, the misconception on what strength training is or what re- performance training is, and it's getting a little bit out of hand on yeah. some stuff. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what the I, – I teach a couple of classes at Marquette now, and we take um, PT students, and I think that the next generation of clinicians is going to have a different problem than, like, what you and I had, where, like, when we were learning, we were trying to access high-quality information, like – you know, there wasn't as much research, there wasn't social media, you didn't have direct access to some of these professionals. So you had to really go out and actually talk to real people and right. interact with human beings. Um, but it was harder to come by some of this information. The next generation of, of coaches and performance coaches and, and rehab specialists that are coming up are gonna have this fire hose information. And I think they've gotta have really sound principles to filter it all, you know, because otherwise you go on Instagram and you can just get you get lost. lost. Absolutely, so. don't you? you can get lost. And I think that you have to have constant communication with your athletes. And I think you you always have to be touching them and seeing them how you feeling and and having that communication line open because that's the best information that you're gonna get. It's not you know going on social media and seeing you know one weird exercise and like yeah. I'm gonna put that in my program. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, but you know, everybody has their own thing. And we've kind of discussed this. And there's, there's a lot of competition in this field. But everybody does their stuff really well, or they wouldn't be having their own businesses or coaching athletes and getting that trust. It's just finding, you know, the right fit. If do you have a good relationship with your coach, because that's probably the most important part. If you trust your coach, and he gets you and motivates you and you see results, that's all you need. You know, it's the program is the program. Everybody has their own different thing. But, you know, you need to find who you drive with and, and, and then you'll see results that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Um, I had a couple questions on the end here. They're just sort of fun. Uh, uh, we kind of call it a lightning round. It gives yeah. everyone a chance to, to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so you've done some pretty cool stuff in your career. Do you have a uh, career highlight? Uh, yeah, my career highlight, I would say, well, I real I, I trained Patty Mills, the uh, point guard for the Spurs in the offseason, and I got a chance to do all his Olympic preparation for Rio, and, and he was the most outstanding player in the Rio Olympics and awesome. is the only player in the world that scores 30 points on average against the Team USA, so that's kind of a highlight in my book. That's, uh, that's awesome. All right, what is your uh, one-on-one record in the AP gym? Oh, one-on-one? I mean, I've never been beat here. That's, that's true stuff right there. You know, these guys always are chirping at me in the morning. Come Wednesday mornings, we're playing three-on-three three or one-on-one, on one, but no, I haven't. I haven't. But I pick and choose wisely. Like these young fellas, the Tyler Heroes and Jordan Pools, you know, I used to play them one-on-one on one when they were like 13, 14. I'd get them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it anymore. My knee's bad, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. This last one is uh, from your guy, Harrison Cleary, and he wants to know, um, he wants it settled once and for all, who is the pride of Oak Creek? Oh, no doubt Harrison Cleary is the pride of Oak Creek. You know, Sanani's going to try to get with him there, but no, it's, it's definitely Harrison. <laughs> that right. kid, man. 
I love that kid. I can't I, wait for this. Season. I haven't been able to talk to anybody else about this, but you and I went to the game down in uh, at Parkside when they played here. Can you just try to describe this dude scores like forty a night? Can you try to describe the defenses that he goes against? Uh, yeah, I mean it's crazy. The kid gets doubled and triple teamed, and obviously he's got good players on his team, but he doesn't have guys that are just flat out knocked down or got you know guys he can throw up that'll dunk on someone. So he's doing everything, and then on the defensive side, he's doing it too. So. You know, I feel bad a little bit for Harrison because when he gets to the next level and he wants to prove himself to be, you know, a scorer, some teams might not look for him to be like, hey, he's going to be the scorer, but he can he can produce anywhere on the floor. Yeah. He can assist, he can defend, he can do whatever. Yeah. But his main deal for his job on his high or his college team was to score the ball. Yeah. And so he could do everything. I'd, it's, I've never seen anything like that. It's no. just... He had like 25 the, in the first half. In the junk defenses, it was, it was just it was crazy to watch in person. So, all right. Well, Steve, I really appreciate your time today. It was a great conversation, um, and I hope the, the Milwaukee athletes were able to take a lot away from the interview. Um, if our listeners want to learn more, uh, where can they find you online? Yeah, thanks for having me. They could go to trainap.net, and um, we have all sorts of information about what we do on our website, if not there. You can email me at steve at trainap.net or uh, visit our Instagram page, which is a big information site, and that's at Athlete Performance. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Steve, and thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.